to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor at Redeemer Church, and it is a great morning. It's a Sunday morning, and I'm here with my good friend, Colin Jones. Good morning, dude. Happy good morning. Lord's Day. Yes, happy Lord's Day. Um, <clears throat> it is before the, our first service, so we're doing this before church. Hiding um, out in a student room, student classroom. Yes, it's just great to talk about some theology, to wake up and to have our minds uh, renewed by the Word. And so we are continuing our series. We've done a few of these. We did one on justification and adoption, but it doesn't make sense for us to do justification and then to not do sanctification because they're inseparable, Mm -hmm. right? They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand, yet we distinguish them. Right. Yeah, there's there's clear distinctions. And so we thought that this episode would be uh, a super helpful one to help us think through the Christian life. And so, Colin, on Wednesday, this last Wednesday, you had the opportunity of preaching to junior high again. So what were, what was, uh, um, well, how would you define sanctification? Yeah, and, and just your study, where did you take them to show that? Yeah, yeah, I took them to Galatians 5, um, kind of jumped around a little bit, but specifically verse 1, and then verses 13 through 25. Okay. Um, Paul's talking about um, being called to freedom. He's talking about the flesh and the spirit fighting against each other now inside of us, and he's talking about living a life in the spirit. So taking off what is fleshly and putting on what is mm. of the spirit. And, so, yeah, go ahead. And go. I define sanctification as uh, God now making or setting apart those who he's justified. Mm. A, a progressive, God progressively working holiness and death to sin and love for Christ, newness of life in those whom he's justified. So... When we were justified, that's in the past tense, those mm. of us that are believers, we were acquitted before God, declared righteous. Now, how is sanctification distinct from that, then? You just you just said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, justification is God's—he's made me righteous. It's, and also, to the junior highs, I was like, justification is boom, done. Yeah. It's finished. You can't go One back. One-time work. That. Yeah. Yep. And that's where we find peace— um, in living this life, we have assurance that we've been justified. Yes. It's not going to change. Sanctification, on the other hand, is more progressive. It's God working through his Holy Spirit in us, him working out holiness in us, making us more okay. holy, or right, like Romans 8.30 says, more like Christ. Gotcha. But we are righteous, yet at the same time, we're sinners, right? right. And so God is still working in us to conform us to the image of his son. Because the Roman Catholics would say, wait, 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 that doesn't make sense. How can he declare us righteous when we're not actually righteous? Mm-hmm. That's a, what is it, they call it, something, a, fic, um, a legal fiction. A le- legal fiction. Simul justus et peccator. <laughs> yeah, we're sinners and saints at the same time. And so the sanctification is, the way that I describe it to the students, is the from the moment of the new birth until the moment you meet Jesus face-to-face, whether he comes again or glorification is that time period by which you are being sanctified or as paul says in first corinthians 15 2 i believe that you are being saved Mm. it's like what What? i thought we were saved paul what do you mean that we're being saved um well it's this this operation of the holy spirit within us to work um in us to subdue the pollution of sin and then to make us alive new obedience to christ it is a work of god's grace so what are some of the yeah, what were some of the pitfalls, I guess, when it comes to sanctification or some of the things that you had to work through as you were trying to figure out how to preach this to, to junior hires, like some distinctions that you want to make clear just to make sure? Mm-hmm. It's difficult 
Uh, well, first of all, when you were saying this about from new birth to the day you meet Jesus, that's why sanctification is so important to understand. Mm-hmm. Is like justification is important to understand because that's how we're actually made righteous before God. You can't go anywhere else without that. Yeah. But sanctification is so important because that is what we're living in right now. If you're a believer, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and that's what you will be living in, Lord willing, until the day you die, like in a long time. Yeah. So that's why it's so important. It's practical. It's where yep. we're at right now. Um, but with pitfalls with sanctification or errors, I guess errors, yeah. people fall into a lot of errors with sanctification mm-hmm. because it can be difficult to understand if you're not applying yourself to scripture. Yep. Um, one is the view, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but one is the view of perfectionism where I can become absolutely <laughs> perfect. Yes. Um, shout out to John Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> good hymn writer, yep. not a good theologian. Yep. Um, so I was reading Burkhoff this morning, just some light reading, <laughs> but it was great. He was talking about the uh, doctrine of sanctification after the Reformation, mm-hmm. and so how the Reformers, speaking of sanctification, they emphasized the antithesis of sin and redemption rather than that of nature and supernature, which is an opposed to the Roman Catholics. Um, so it says, Burkhoff says, they made a clear distinction between justification and sanctification, regarding the formal as a legal act of divine grace affecting the judicial status of man, that's justification, and the latter, sanctification, as a moral or recreative work changing the inner nature of man. But while they made a careful distinction between the two, they also stressed their inseparable connection. Um, And so that is what we've been talking about. That's the view that we hold to. Mm -hmm. Now, later on, after the Reformation, came in what is called pietism, which I think is still alive and well today, because there's always a re- there's always a reaction to another error called antinomianism, mm-hmm. so which we could talk about in a second. And pietism and Methodism, um, they they stress great emphasis on constant fellowship with Christ as the great means of sanctification. So Burkhoff says. By exalting sanctification at the expense of justification, they did not always avoid the danger of self-righteousness. Wesley did not merely distinguish justification and sanctification, but virtually separated them and spoke of entire sanctification as a second gift of grace, following the first of justification by faith, after a shorter or longer period. So he believed that you could become, you could enter into a stage of perfectionism in this life. It's a second stage of grace. Um, and I love what uh, Burkhoff says. He says, under the influence of rationalism and the moralism of Kant, um, sanctification ceased to be regarded as a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and the renewal of sinners and was brought down to the level of mere moral improvement by the natural powers of man. Go back to Rome, Wesley. Bless yes, you. he, you know, Wesley was, and I think, he saw the problem. There was a problem of antinomianism. There was a problem of dead religion. And Wesley, if you read him, man, he is, he's, he's an evangelical at heart. I think he's, he's obviously wrong on some things, but, um, and he was definitely wrong on this. I remember Spurgeon. He would run into Wesleyans who believed that they, were, uh, they had achieved perfectionism. And I was reading this in the autobiography. Spurgeon would purposely try to get in theological debates with them just to get them angry and then to say that, <laughs> that, that see, you, you haven't been perfected yet. Oh, man. <clears throat> Spurgeon, he's so fun. Um, anyways, uh, so I think that Wesley, and if you read them, and they're, you know, Charles Wesley's hymns, 
and can it be some beautiful like they're very re, uh evangelical mm -hmm. so they're not heretics or anything they're just wrong on a few things um and i love what spurgeon would say about wesley he said what uh, someone asked him was wesley in heaven or whatever or and he and uh he said um I, I I probably won't see him there because he'll be sitting so close to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, yeah, he's just, yeah. Anyways, so all that to say, um, Ian Murray has a great biography on Wesley that I haven't read, but I've been wanting to. Because um, we ran into a Methodist in Belvedere the other day. Mm -hmm. We were sitting next to him. And he's like, I'm one of the only conservative voices in the in Methodism in like his region or whatever i'm like dude that guy's a man that's awesome but if he believes in perfectionism he's he's wrong but that's all right so that's one of the pitfalls so what is antinomianism then colin antinomianism uh if you break down the word it means against the law or without the law so anti mm -hmm. no and nomina law so mm -hmm. absence of the law it's basically when people um it works itself out in people just saying they've been saved by Christ, which is this, this is where a lot of evangelicalism sits, I think, today, yeah. mm -hmm. which is people say that they've been saved by Christ, but then they don't live that way. Sure. Which is, um, it's still not that we we're saved by works, and we have to understand that, but these people are, um, they just trample on the death of Christ. So they probably get justification right. You know, in, in the sense that they, they believe that, you know, by faith, we are justified. Yes. At the moment of conversion or, at, you know, and, and it's a free grace. But then they they uh, they detach the law, the third use of the law specifically, that it is a rule of life from the gospel completely. And so you kind of get the charge in Romans six. Excuse me, where Paul says, may we sin that grace may abound? Mm -hmm. May it never be. So that's kind of the antinomian spirit right there. Right. I've been saved by grace, therefore I don't need the law anymore. Uh, God will just forgive me. So, Which is helpful to understand the three different uses of the law um, between, and Luther and Calvin kind of disagreed on this, where Luther saw the law more in terms of your justification because mm -hmm. that's what he was fighting for, granted. Mm -hmm. um, but he saw it more in just the use of justification, which in that, Romans 3.20, the law is... An, almost like an enemy to us. It's mm -hmm. putting us to death. It's killing yeah. us. But on the other hand, then now that we have been justified on the other side of that uh, curtain, we're in sanctification. It's now our guide or like to the junior hires. I was like in yeah. justification, the law is your enemy in sanctification. It's your friend or your guide yeah. to show you how to live for God. Psalm 119, uh, Psalm one. Mm -hmm. Can you Bible. say with David? <laughs> oh, how I love your law. Yeah. You, you know? should be able to. And that comes because our, our status has changed before the law and before Christ, mm -hmm. so that we're no longer under the laws of covenant of works, but right now um, we are freed, set freed from the condemnation of the law to live unto good works. And I think Ephesians 2, 10 even brings us home, or Ephesians 1, 5. <clears throat> Why don't you read Ephesians 1, 5 and then uh, 2, 10. Yeah, Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Oh, sorry. Wait, was that Ephesians 1, 4? 5. 4. 1, 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Yeah, so there's a purpose there in the election. It's so that we would be holy and blameless. And right. then Ephesians 2, 10, right after the beautiful, you're saved by grace, what does he say? Oh, yeah. 
I'm going to go to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mm. Yep. And so, yeah, there is a... This is where the law and the gospel is really important. Now that we have been saved, it's like uh, the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. You walked through the Red Sea, right? You've, you, uh, I'm leading you to the promised land because I am your God and because I have saved you. Therefore, you shall not worship any other God. Before. And then he goes into the Ten Commandments. So the gospel is the foundation, our freedom, our justification, which then leads us to see God's law as this is pleasing to the Lord. I want to obey him and live for him. Mm-hmm. So that's super important when understanding sanctification, especially in the Christian life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think another important thing to kind of get into the weeds a little bit is justification. I said it was a process mm-hmm. to the junior hires. Is justification? It, I'm sorry, sanctification. Mm-hmm. I said it was a process to the junior hires. Mm-hmm. Is sanctification always a process, or is there anything that is done about it? Yeah, that's that's actually this is where Luther di- disagreed with, or Calvin disagreed with Luther, really. Mm-hmm. But he agreed, but then he disagreed because Luther only saw sanctification as a definitive work based off of first Corinthians six eleven, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Hmm. So past tense, right? You were justified. It says that right after in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And in Acts 20, 32, <coughs> excuse me, says, and now I command you, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to build you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So there's a there's a sense where we are uh we already are set apart. We are God's holy ones, we are God's saints, we are God's children. Our sanctification is found in Christ, first Corinthians one thirty. So there is a sense that we have already been sanctified, set apart, made holy through justification. So that was one that so Luther saw it purely as that you're sanctified. But obviously there's other verses like First Corinthians or First Thessalonians five twenty three that says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh wait. So yes, we're sanctified, but he's still sanctifying us completely. Hebrews ten fourteen, by for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So there is this kind of dual nature to sanctification. It's definitive, while at the same time it is a process. Hmm. And it's a work of God's Holy Spirit. It's a work of grace, which I love what your argument for, because people naturally, they think justification is by faith alone. It's by grace. But sanctification, it's by grace plus works, Hmm. plus me cooperating, which there is an activity. Like, we are active in sanctification. But it is still all, any, any, Anything, uh, how, how can I say that? The sanctifying power and work is not from us. Hmm. It's We are the instrument by which God, the Holy Spirit within us, is producing new life by virtue of our union with Christ. And so, but you made a great argument in your sermon. It was your last point on how sanctification is all of grace, and I thought it was great. <clears throat> so what was it? Tell me. <laughs> the last, uh, it was a final word to the junior hires, um, and... So I'd walk through in Gal- or, yeah, Galatians 5, it talks about how we have been set free. That's objectively rooted in Christ's life and death. That's an 
in our justification. Now there's a war to fight, that's our sanctification. There's a life to live, that's our sanctification. And then I was giving them a final word of exhortation um, and just telling them that it is all of grace. If God has brought us from all the way from election and eternity past, outside of time, and then into time with, with the atonement, with um, calling, with regeneration, all of these things that God's done, justification, adoption, um, and Isaiah reminded me conversion. <laughs> yeah. he, he's so hanging on to the words. Um, if all of this has been of grace, then God does not stop um, showing us his grace and sanctification. And even if you look at Ezekiel 36, it says, I wash you, I cleanse you, I give you a I new will, heart. I will, I will cause you. I will cause you to yeah. walk in my statutes and my laws. And then back in, all the way back in Leviticus, it says, <laughs> uh, after he says um, one of the highest commandments in Leviticus, he says, be holy as I am holy, I'm the Lord. Leviticus 28, I think. Then he says, um, he says, you're to walk in my ways for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So even in yeah. the Old Testament, he's causing him to walk in his ways. He's causing him, causing them to do these things through the regeneration of their hearts, through justification. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another thing to read on that, or two, two other things on how sanctification is us participating, but also we have to understand it as rooted in Christ. Yeah. So, I have one verse before. Are you gonna read? Are you gonna read Burkhoff right there? I was gonna read the quote you sent me this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, here's the tension, though. There is a tension. Philippians two thirteen. It says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. Accomplish your salvation." Literal Greek. <laughs> Paul. That's like so against. That's not Pauline. You know. And this comes right after that great section when when it says, um, "Have this mind among yourselves," and it talks about Christ and how he. He, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with him, but you know, became his servant, humbled himself to the point of death, and Christ exalted him, right? Mm-hmm. And then right after it says, <clears throat> Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Mm-hmm. So we still are called. Yes, it's definitive. Yes, it's a process, a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's also we are active within this yielding to the Holy Spirit, walking by the Holy Spirit. And this is by virtue of all the commands that are given given to us to perform for the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, but in light of that tension, read that, read what Burkhoff has to say about this. Yeah. <coughs> Burkhoff says, when it is said that man takes part in the work of sanctification, this does not mean that man is an independent agent in the work so as to make it partly the work of God and partly the work of man. But merely that God effects the work in part through the instrumentality, the instrument of man as a rational being by requiring of him prayerful and intelligent cooperation with the Spirit. It's really good. And Glorious. then, yeah, the other thing to think about in that is just as our justification is rooted in the life and death, um, the active and passive, that objective mm-hmm. nature of the life of Christ, yep. so is our sanctification rooted in that. So when you have been sanctified, it's not anything that you've done still. Yep. You're just as much sanctified in Christ as you've been justified in Christ. Yep. But that gives you the basis of the, the launch pad, mm-hmm. sort of, yep. now to go off and want to live a life of holiness for God yep. through His Spirit working through you. That reminds me, there's this little tract, it's called uh, God's Way of Holiness, I believe, mm-hmm. by Horatius Bonar. Yep. Um, and he <clears throat> he says in the very in the preface he says two things that you have in sanctification pretty much is the peace of God and the holiness of God you can't separate them mm. and the holiness is founded upon peace and I think his argument is that justification is vital to sanctification mm-hmm. if you don't have peace if you don't have assurance of Christ then you will not grow in holiness 
Hmm. And I, I love that argument. It's pretty much what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. The holiness causes us to f- to fear and tremble in a sense, but then the peace comes from Christ. But yep. then the holiness also causes us to want to walk in that yep. newness of life, love for Christ, and death to sin. So talking about sanctification, how we are to grow in Christ. This is an ongoing process, obviously. What is the nature of this growing process? Is it instant? Is it, you know, something that we're just onward march to glory? Is it one of ease, comfort, or pain, or suffering? No, definitely not ease and comfort. As Shai Lin says it, if you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. It should be one of Jeez. not comfort. Pilgrim's Progress, <laughs> Christian was not comfortable on the entire yeah. journey. Um, but Luther brings out a distinction here, right? When it comes to the Christian life, like being a the- he, he says, being a theologian of glory versus the theologian of the cross. And just to break down the what that means, like one uh, a theologian of glory would be a Christian who sees their sanctification, sees the cr- uh, Christian life as an as something that they achieve. It's something that they need to keep climbing the ladder of success. And yes, there's degrees within sanctification. I believe that. They're, you know, the saints, you know, we were just talking to that pastor at Temple Baptist who's 93. Hmm. That dude is far more sanctified than I am, (laughs) though not perfect, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. There's degrees, but at the same time, um, there's there's this view that like your the Christian life is one that looks like is filtered like Instagram like you always have to be happy you always got to have a perfect quiet time and joyful and if you aren't then you aren't being sanctified you aren't growing in Christ and so God's growth of Christ <clears throat> sorry our growth in Christ is founded upon our striving Really, that's like the foundation. So how are you doing in your Christian life? Oh, good. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been going to church. I've been, And that those are all great things. I don't want to bash those things. But our sanctification, you know, as soon as those things leave, and if I were to ask you, how, how are you doing? You're going to be like, I'm, you know, it's terrible. Um, it's not going well. And I think a more realistic way of looking at the Christian life is one like the Pilgrim's Progress, or mm-hmm. what Luther calls the theologian of the cross, which is they view all of life through pain and suffering. <clears throat> and so, uh, and it's not easy. It looks like Jesus' life, really, of humility, right? And what does Scripture say? It says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm studying 1 Kings 1, 11, or 1 through 11 on the rise and fall of King Solomon. And that's kind of the trajectory of every king, the rise and then the fall, except for Jesus. It's the fall and then the rise. Hmm. It's backwards. And that's what the gospel really is. It's it's through that lens of the suffering servant who we are to emulate in this life as weary pilgrims traveling this road, running into all the characters that <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Christian runs into. And I think that... that that settles our hearts a little bit more and because we're going to mess up, we're going to fail while at the same time knowing that like, yes, I love God. I want to read. I want to do all these. I want to be joyful, but that's, that's encouraging to the suffering saint, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I do know. It is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. The world says, I remember reading in Luther's, in the Luther's biography, the theological biography of the world looks at the strong, the wise, mm. uh, the powerful, those with money, and 
Jesus took the exact opposite path, and those who follow him do too. And so, like, the, that whole idea of theologians of the cross or theologians of glory is rooted, again, that's rooted in the objective nature of Christ's life and death, hmm. which was one of suffering, as opposed to the subjective nature of our behavior or the changeability of our nature. Yeah, that's right. Good. Like, oh, I missed church on Sunday. I'm a bad Christian now. Yeah. That's not how it works. That's how a theologian of glory would see it. Like, mm. you got to make every single mark or, or what with the Bible app where you, you get like, I've been on here for three days in a row. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. No, but like if it's rooted in the objective nature of Christ mm. and his life and death, then it doesn't change. Yeah. And I, I think of first Corinthians, I think one talks about that for God chose what is weak in the world, what is foolish in the world, what, is, you know, mm-hmm. all those things, what is not, you were not noble of birth, right? To the world, they look at Jesus's life and they say failure. Look at what kind of king is this who dies, who eats with prostitutes and tax collectors, who's who's a, who's known as a glutton. That's what they called him. He he wasn't though. He was without sin. You know, they look at his life and they say failure. But from the from the lens of the cross and suffering, it's it's exaltation. It, it is it's success. So that's the opposite view because we still carry that that cultural worldly view even of the christian life everything in our life we're trying to progress in sports school job career you know your whatever skills you have and it's not like we're we shouldn't be trying to gain knowledge of scripture and all that stuff it's just it's just that the way up is down <laughs> it's through humility and mm-hmm. it's and it's a hard road and so saying in your sanctification as you're growing in christ you're going to wane you know the the, the satan's going to put water on that that fire that's 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 building in your flesh you're gonna be tempted you're gonna fall you're gonna suffer and you got to know that going into it because that's where the objective nature of the gospel and justification is vital to your growth and remembering who you are in christ that you are an adopted child and that those god's sheep hears his voice and he will by no means cast them out Hmm. you know so anyways yeah that's good what ways does god help us along in our sanctification yeah so, so we're walking the road right or we're, we're weary pilgrims what were some of the helps that uh, christian had in, in pilgrim's progress didn't uh, he have a guy named help <laughs> i think so helpful helpful he met, i think he meant helpful and faithful and he had a he had a faithful scroll is, faithful is a man by the way mm-hmm. faithful is an absolute beast yeah um the yeah. evangelist he had a lot of, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so what are the me- some means that god helps us grow in Christ? Well, first of all, we have um, the church or the group of people that God has brought together. Yeah. Um, and I think you could have a word on this, but yeah. um, I love love Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews, but Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Paul is talking uh, to this congregation. He says, let, or someone's talking to this congregation, yeah. probably Paul. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So here's what we're trying to do. Stir each other up to love and to good works. That's the end goal. Kind of like a therefore, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but rather encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hmm. And Paul encouraged them 2,000 years ago, so we were to meet together more and more yeah. uh, constantly as the day draws near. And we're to do that in the hope of, or in the uh, with the end goal in mind, of encouraging each other to love and to good works. Yeah. I think that there, we, in our, this goes back to pietism, right? Viewing mm-hmm. our sanctification as purely the spiritual disciplines that we need to have in our life. Theologian so, of glory. Yeah. And so those things are great. Fasting, praying. I mean, I got up this morning at five 
and I've you know feel way more sanctified now. I'm just kidding. Whoa, I dude. Know. Whoa. I know. I always had a friend. We had a, an older <laughs> an older leader back at Grace Community when I was serving there. When uh, he would always text us, uh, when when he knew that we were having a prayer meeting or whatever, like seven in the morning, he would text us, "Hey, I was up at like three this morning praying for your <laughs> prayer meeting." <laughs> he was just joking, but anyways, uh, you know, I still get up in the morning, usually five at at five. I do some reading, some theology, and and going through First Kings right now, and reading scripture and prayer. Those things are great, and the fact that we have those that we have access to the Word of God now is is incredible. And I think that it's really important to be in private prayer and private communion with the Lord. Mm-hmm. However, I think that in our individualistic society, we view those things as the ultimate, as the entree, and church, the preaching of God's Word and the sacraments as supplements. Mm-hmm. And I said one thing in my sermon, I said, <laughs> so I said in, in one of my sermon, in, in my sermon last week, I said, that you should prioritize the preaching, the corporate preaching of the word over your individual time in the word. Hmm. And that had struck a chord with some of our students because I think naturally they, they emphasize, they, they get, they're more refreshed in their quiet time, their own quiet devotional time than they are by God's means of grace in, in the sacraments. So if you find yourself being refreshed, not being refreshed in your soul when you take the Lord's Supper or when you see a baptism, and yet you or hearing the preaching of God's word and the prayer of the saints on Sunday, um, but you do in your own private reading, I think that you have it. I think you have the emphasis backwards. So Sunday, and my argument is that all throughout Scripture we see this. Every single New Testament um, book is written to a church. It's written within the context of a church. You don't have a verse that says you need to get up at 6 or 5 in the morning and have a personal quiet time. Yes, David says, I meditate on your law day and night. But I think if if David had an opportunity to worship in the synagogue or in the temple with his people versus private uh, meditation on uh, a scroll, which he would have only had access to pretty much, and people didn't have access to Bibles or these things, especially not until the 1500s, he would emphasize the corporate over the individualistic, hmm. <clears throat> over the individual aspect of our communion with God. And so I just think that we live in a how-to society, uh, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. It's kind of pietistic. Piety is great. I love piety. But pietism, like I said, it's viewing the Christian life through the lens uh, or your sanctification through the lens of your own spiritual disciplines. Hmm. And that's kind of monkish in some some ways like asceticism like discipline the more disciplined i am the more i'm going to earn god's favor or be pleased pleasing to the lord and i think that that is a slow you're just going you're going back to rome and you're falling into you could fall easily into legalism and guilt and despair because when you miss one of those days which happened to me all the time in college and which happens to a lot of moms that right now that love jesus but they're up all night nursing their kids and they they don't have the routine like some people have like it leads them to despair if they're thinking through that lens but if if not they're still meditating on the word putting off the deeds of the flesh listening to sermons going to church like all those things i think that god uses those in their lives too uses both obviously but i'm going to emphasize the corporate over the individual for sure awesome shows the grace of god again yeah um, another thing real quick, 
Um, more means of grace. So we have the church, corporate worship, mm-hmm. um, and two other things together here, and two important ones. You can speak on these. Um, I'm going to give kind of a couple of proof texts for them, though. Yeah. It says, <clears throat> in the London Baptist Confession uh, of Sanctification, they who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, all these things done, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, such rich language, are also farther sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue. How? By his word and spirit dwelling in them. Yeah. And so, John seventeen seventeen, here is really good. Uh, Jesus is talking here, and he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yep. So just a proof text for the yep. word of God is truth, and it sanctifies us as it, as it dwells in us, as we read it, as we meditate on it. Yep. Um, and then First Thessalonians, Paul says, uh, many of you know this verse, pray without ceasing, mm-hmm. give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But then verse 19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Yeah. So as the Spirit's working in us, that is that, that prayer that's in us. If you mm-hmm. cease praying, then you're, or, or he's talking about if, you are, if you're never praying, then you're probably quenching the Spirit. Yeah. The Spirit in us, we will, we're going to be praying out, crying out, Abba, Father. Yeah. So there are <clears throat> means by which God makes us more and more like Jesus. The main source is the Holy Spirit working with these means. And mm-hmm. it's, the means are the Word and prayer and the church. In the ordinances, which is why they're so important. Um, and so, yeah, so it's the sword of the Spirit. We need to be bathing in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Of course, we want to be communing with God. You know, uh, Dane Ortland talks about this. He says, uh, this. every Christian needs to know this breathing exercise. And I was like, what is this New Age yoga <laughs> thing that he's about to go into? And he talked about how, he's talking about reading and prayer, how, reading God's word or knowing God's word is like you're inhaling oxygen. You're taking it in and it, you know, it's like food, right? And we talked about that. Um, you're receiving it into your mouth and you're chewing on it and you're becoming full. But when you inhale, you need to exhale. And that's what prayer is. It's then rehearsing what you learn from the word and praying it back to the Lord um, within the context that you're in. And we need to always be inhaling, exhale. Some of you, you're not exhaling. You're just breathing in. You're gonna go purple and and pass out. And some of you are only breathing out. You need the word um, mm-hmm. to direct your prayers. So um, I think that's super helpful um, when it comes to walking and living the Christian life. Yeah, it is, and it's all again. It's not going back to Pietism. It's all directed by or all the the strength of the power to do that comes from the Spirit. I think of Paul Washer. He says um, that. Your, your flesh is one of the most trustworthy things because whatever your flesh doesn't want to do is probably what you should be doing, like prayer and getting into the Word. That's yeah. probably the last thing that many of us want to do, <laughs> but that means you should probably be doing it. Yeah. So, uh, and again, Paul says in Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power, how? Through His Spirit in your inner being, mm. so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's the last point that we should just, yeah. Uh, in closing, S- justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. And sanctification is by faith alone mm-hmm. in Christ alone. It's, what does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It has happened. It's done. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hmm. And so we walk this life by faith. That's not a blind faith. It's faith in Christ, who is our wisdom, um, redemption, sanctification, righteousness. I probably got those orders wrong, but 1 Corinthians one thirty, mm-hmm. Jesus is our sanctification. So the more that we look to him, the more that we focus our the eyes of our hearts upon him, who he is, and his work for us, and that objective nature of our justification, the more and more we will grow in Christ and in his likeness. Um, we got to let the waters of Christ pour over us and wash us every single day until he brings us home. So we're sanctified by faith. Amen. Yeah, amen. Well, hey, if you want more information about Redeemer Church, you can go to RedeemerRockford.Church. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. We got to get to church, man. We do. Yep. Let's go. Yep, the means grace. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>